Let's open the Word of God to Psalm 90. Psalm 90. Psalm 90, it's the, the oldest psalm in the book of Psalms because it's a prayer of Moses, the man of God. Lord, you have been our dwelling place in all generations. Before the mountains were brought forth or ever you had formed the earth and the world, even from everlasting to everlasting, you are God. You turn men to destruction and say, Return, O children of men, for a thousand years in your sight are like yesterday when it is past, and like a watch in the night. You carry them away like a flood. They are like sheep in the morning. They are like grass which grows up. In the morning it flourishes and grows up. In the evening it is cut down and withers. For we have been consumed by your anger, and by your wrath we are terrified. You have set our iniquities before you, our secret sins in the light of your countenance. For all our days have passed away in your wrath. We finish our years like a sigh. The days of our lives are 70 years, and if by reason of strength they are 80 years, yet their boast is only labor and sorrow. For it is soon cut off and we fly away. Who knows the power of your anger? For as the fear of you, so is your wrath. So teach us to number our days that we may gain a heart of wisdom. Return, O Lord, how long, and have compassion on your servants. O satisfy us early with your mercy that we may rejoice and be glad all our days. Make us glad according to the days in which you have afflicted us, the years in which we have seen evil. Let your work appear to your servants and your glory to their children. And let the beauty of the Lord our God be upon us and establish the work of our hands for us. Yes, establish the work of our hands. So far, Psalm 90. And then we turn to our Heidelberg Catechism, Lord's Day 4. And there we confess from God's word the following. But does not God do man an injustice by requiring in his law what man cannot do? No. For God so created man that he was able to do it. But man at the instigation of the devil and in deliberate disobedience robbed himself and all his descendants of these gifts. Will God allow such disobedience and apostasy to go unpunished? Certainly not. He is terribly angry with our original sin as well as our actual sins. Therefore, he will punish them by a just judgment, both now and eternally, as he has declared, Cursed be everyone who does not abide by all things written in the book of the law and do them. But is God not also merciful? God is indeed merciful, but he is also just. His justice requires that sin committed against the most high majesty of God 
also be punished with the most severe, that is, with everlasting punishment of body and soul. So far, the catechism. Brothers and sisters in the Lord Jesus Christ and boys and girls who belong to him. Not a very nice Lord's Day we have before us this afternoon, is it? No words of comfort in this Lord's Day at all. We only hear about the just judgment that results because of our sins and disobedience and about God's anger because of our original as well as actual sins and finally about the severe and everlasting punishment of body and soul that our sins deserve. Not a nice Lord's Day even if we know that there is escape from the curse and punishment in Jesus Christ, it's still hard to hear all this, to go through it. I think that the difficulty hearing about all this is pretty common today. A lot of Christians even don't want to hear about the wrath of God and the curse and eternal punishment to hell. It's all uncomfortable to talk about or even think about these things. But we shouldn't forget that the same Bible that talks about the grace and peace of God for those who believe also speaks very plainly and straightforward about God's wrath against a world that doesn't want to acknowledge Him. The thing is, whoever refuses to accept God's wrath against a world which has rebelled against Him will at the same time then hollow out the good news of salvation in Jesus Christ. You empty the gospel of the cross of its real meaning if you don't pay attention to this. You can talk and sing about the gospel, but it, it's not going to mean much anymore then. If the preaching of the word is only about the love and mercy of God without take, taking into account the reality of God's wrath against sin, then the preaching is empty. And then God is made into a kind of a nice grandfather in heaven who is okay with whatever you do. And in fact, you then worship a graven image of God which fits your human sensibilities rather than God of Holy Scripture who has revealed himself as the majestic and living God who is real and living in his wrath as well as his love. And with that in mind, I proclaim to you what we confess from God's word in Lord's Day 4 with this theme, the majesty of the living God. Two points, we need to humble ourselves under his just wrath and we need to magnify him then for his great mercy. First of all, humble ourselves under God's just wrath. Okay, this seems obvious, doesn't it? But is it really? You humble yourself under God's wrath. If your dad gets angry with you for doing wrong, then, boys and girls, then you're going to make yourself really small and put on a sorry face, right? You know that if you don't do that, it's only going to make him more angry and upset with you for what you did. That's obvious. But do we all behave in the same way over against God? If we know that we have sinned against his word and will, does that make us humble and small under his anger? And I'm afraid that we're not all that quick to humble ourselves before him. And you know why I say that? Because we don't notice, usually notice very much of his wrath. If your dad becomes angry at you, boys and girls, you, you feel that right away. You notice that right away. You see that on his face too. But what do we actually notice of God's wrath 
against our sins. Okay, you feel guilty for committing what you know is sinful in God's sight. Your conscience bothers you. But after a while, your conscience kind of wears down and your conscience will not bother you that much anymore eventually. And you eventually forget about it too. And life goes on, right? When do you notice that God actually punishes you for your sins? If we confess that here, he will punish them with a just judgment both now and eternally. Actually, the opposite seems to be the case. People seem to be able to sin all they want, but nothing happens. Think of people who blaspheme and mock God's name. They keep committing their sins and they don't fall dead. So what's up with the anger of God against our sins? Is it maybe not that serious then? It doesn't seem to be so if we go what we see and what we experience in life. However, brothers and sisters, boys and girls, we need to see things in the world and in our own lives in the light of God's holy word. We only become wise to the truth if we put on the glasses of Holy Scripture. We read Psalm 90 earlier on. That Psalm of Moses, a prayer of Moses, the man of God. If you read this Psalm over a few times, you get the feel of it and you realize that it's actually a cry for God's mercy. Hey, Lord, verse 13, for instance. Return, O Lord, how long, and have compassion on your servants. Apparently, the Lord was bringing his anger to bear against his people. And his face was turned toward them in anger here. His punishing hand was on his people Israel. In the time of Moses, how was the Lord punishing his people and when and why? Well, Psalm 90 is a prayer of Moses, so we have to think of the time when Moses was leading the people of Israel through the wilderness wanderings here. Around a year after they had left Egypt, they already came to the border of, of Canaan, the promised land. They could go in, but you know what happened then. I assume the that you know that the 12 spies were sent into the promised land to spy out the land of Canaan. Two came back, positive report. Let's go in and take it. The Lord is with us. But 10 of the spies reported that Israel would never be able to conquer the land. They were, there were giants there. And the people listened to the 10 and lost their trust in God that he would give them the land. And you know what happened? The Lord in his anger told them that that generation that was there, ready to enter the land, would never enter the promised land then either. They would wander through the wilderness from place to place for 40 years until all the adults of that generation had died in the wilderness. That was the punishment for their unbelief. Don't forget that at the border of the promised land, they had even suggested, let's go back to the flesh pots of Egypt. We had it better there. And in the meantime, you have to remember the Lord had protected them and miraculously provided them all the way through, all the way to the border of the promised land. But they, all they did was complain and they murmured against the Lord and they rebelled against what he told them. 
And so the Lord's patience with them came to an end. Back you go into the wilderness then. If you don't want to trust in me, you refuse to do that, to believe my promise, then you'll lose out on the promised land. You will not go in. So the prayer of Moses in Psalm 90 took place sometime during the, the 40 years wandering in the wilderness. While people who had refused to trust in the Lord were dying one after another in the wilderness. This is when Moses wrote this. Verses 9 and 10, for instance. For all our days have passed away in your wrath. We finish our years like a scythe. The days of our lives are 70 years, and if by reason of strength they're 80 years, yet their boast is only labor and sorrow, for it is soon cut off and we fly away. Now, it says they're 70 or 80 years. Now, the average age at the time was a lot higher. Don't forget, Moses died at the age of 120. And Aaron died at the age of 123. So the average age was, we could safely say, was higher. So 70 or 80 was not the average lifespan at the time. No, it was a shortened lifespan. And Moses mentions the shorter lifespan in this psalm as clear proof of God's wrath against the people. The whole nation was dying off too soon in the wilderness. None of the older generation was going to make it to the promised land. Forty years. They would all die within the forty years. And that's why he says, verse 7, For we have been consumed by your wrath. And the last part of verse 10, For it is soon cut off and we fly away. They died too soon. If you were forty years old, when you were at the gate of the promised land, you would die before you were eighty. The sad thing is, though, that the Israelites didn't experience it like that anymore while they were in the wilderness. They had become so used to the shorter lifespan by the time Moses wrote this that it didn't bother them any, too much anymore that they were dying off without seeing the promised land. They no longer saw their dying off too soon as the Lord's anger, just wrath against their sin. God's wrath, you see, God's wrath under which they ought to have humbled themselves. They didn't see that anymore. They were basically okay with their life in the wilderness. And see, that's why Moses complains in verse 11. Who knows? Who knows the power of your anger? For as the fear of you, so is your wrath. In other words, who still fears the power of your wrath? Who sees your anger in all the deaths that are taking place in the wilderness anymore? That's Moses' great difficulty in this psalm. That's why he calls out for God's help. The people don't see God's punishing hands in all the graves that they leave behind every time they move through the wilderness. They simply accepted those deaths as inevitable. And brothers and sisters, this is something that touches our lives now too. Who still sees the hand of God in what's going on today, for instance? Do we see the punishing hand of God in the health crisis the whole world is dealing with today? Of course, we can't specifically read God's approval or disapproval in the good or the bad that's taking place at a certain time. 
That's not how God works. But the fact that, that disasters like pestilences happen, the fact that we're confronted with the reality that everyone's life is like grass which flourishes in the morning, grows up in the day, and is cut down and withers in the evening, as Moses says, verse 6, those things certainly have to do with the wrath of God against mankind. It has to do with his curse on the earth after the fall into sin in Genesis 3. Hard toil and trouble and pain and finally ending of our years with a sigh, as Moses says in this psalm. And I'm afraid that in general we've become so used to the curse and the anger of God. Eh? We can become used to that. This is, what, this is life. It belongs with life. I don't know all the answers to so many questions about this, but I do know that God's judgment and wrath also today go out over this world. Think of the seven bowls of God's wrath with which the angels in Revelation 16 take and pour out over the earth, the whole earth. Of course, we can never say that the people in that place suffer because of their specific sins and those don't. But the fact that there is so much trouble and suffering all over the earth is all evidence of God's wrath because of sin. He doesn't pour it all his wrath out, his full wrath, but some of it to call people to humble themselves, to call them to repentance. The, the positive thing, though, is that it's also evidence that God has not abandoned this world and left it over to itself, to self-destruction, for instance. He's still, he's still involved with it. Even in his wrath, he's still involved in it. In fact, in all the disasters and wars, and I also include the present pandemic, God is still busy with the world, calling it to, to repentance, people to humble themselves before him. He's showing people they can never make things right without him. In fact, God will not allow man to create a healthy, peaceful, and just world outside of him. Man can't do it, but God won't allow him either. A couple of years ago, it was thought that a few years ago, it was thought that most deadly viruses had been done away with. So much progress in the fight against smallpox, polio, HIV, and measles, for instance. And there's even been a wonderful progress in the fight against so many viruses. But suddenly last year, a brand new virus comes onto the scene, which has spread all over the world and makes, makes new variants of itself all the time, and which in too many cases is very harmful and often deadly even. And it's not even understood yet. And we don't even know where it's going. And brothers and sisters, we can safely say, this is also God's hand. He's busy bringing mankind with all his pride in himself to realize he doesn't have everything in his control. He's showing man his weakness and especially his sinfulness. So Moses said, who knows the power of your anger? Who knows it? It's something we have to see today too. The power of God's anger. So now let's go back to Lord's Day 4. In those questions of that Lord's Day, we hear the questions of people who want to be free of God's wrath. The, the kind of questions they would ask. They look for a way to escape God's anger without accepting the atoning sacrifice of Christ. Hey, listen to those questions. 
Doesn't God man do an injustice by requiring in his law what man cannot do? Will God allow disobedience and apostasy to go unpunished? But is God not also merciful? You recognize in those questions somebody who's attempting to escape God's justice. Is there a way we can make this right ourselves? Trying to maintain himself or herself over against God in spite of sin. Someone who, so to speak, doesn't want to humble himself or herself before God's justice and his majesty. Like Adam and Eve in the beginning. Adam said, but the woman you gave me. And the woman said, but the devil misled me. Actually, those questions come down to this. Lord, why don't you just leave me alone? I can do fine without you. That's what Adam's arguments came down to. I don't want you in my life anymore. He figured he could do, do fine without God. And you know that, lives, that, that kind of questioning lives in the hearts of all the descendants of Adam too. Us too. We can do okay on our own. But you, you know what God did with Adam, right? He searched him out. Adam tried to hide. And the Lord searched him out and called him out. And he did that to bring Adam back to himself. And that's what he does with us too. He brings our lives into difficulties like with the health crisis now. And it's hard. All the things you have to deal with. But with that, our God is calling us to himself to humble ourselves before his majesty and justice. That's what we need to do in the first place. And when we do that, then we'll also come to understand his mercy and thirst for that mercy. And that brings us to our second point. We need to magnify God and his great mercy. Brothers and sisters, boys and girls too, we, we can be thankful that God didn't turn his back on mankind after the fall, but he made a covenant with Adam and Eve. A covenant of grace. And we can be thankful that he's also faithful to that covenant of grace. He's faithful in spite of the unfaithfulness of the people he has chosen even. He is faithful. The Bible uses the image of a marriage for the faithfulness of God and the unfaithfulness of his people within that covenant relationship. The people commit adultery by leaving the Lord. But the Lord remains faithful and he doesn't want to accept the separation Think of Hosea. God maintains his right to the love of his people. And he's angry as long as we don't return to him in that relationship. So when we wander away from him, he brings us under pressure. And God isn't being harsh in that. It's because he doesn't want to lose us. He wants to save us. And that's why he remains busy with us, even in his anger. Think of the situation in Psalm 90. The Lord God didn't just abandon his people at the border of Canaan. He didn't say, okay, if that's the way you want it, forget it. I'm going to leave you to yourself. But he didn't leave them over to themselves. He kept reaching out to them. Yes, in anger, in the wilderness, but still reaching out. In his wrath, he keeps the way open to his grace and his love. And it's there for those who are willing to humble themselves before him. And see, that's why Moses prays in 
verse 12 here. So teach us to number our days that we may gain a heart of wisdom. In other words, so let your people experience your anger and what they're going through now that they become wise, that they see your anger in what's happening to them, in, the, in their, all the deaths in the wilderness, so that they humble themselves before your wrath and realize that you are just and they desperately need your mercy. And you see then that Moses in Psalm 90 is in fact saying the same thing as we confess in Lord's Day 4. There, there's no way we can reason away or reason our way around God's wrath against our sins and sinfulness. God is 100% just and fair in his wrath. We are of ourselves consumed by his anger. That's what Lord's Day 4 shows us too. But when we acknowledge that God is 100% just in his anger, then we also see how wonderful it is that 100% mercy of his, how wonderful that is, how amazing. Moses prays for that in verse 14 of this, this psalm. Oh, satisfy us early in the morning, early, satisfy us early with your mercy that we may rejoice and be glad all our days. And that's also the point of Lord's Day 4. It, it puts into focus what we confess in Lord's Day 1, that our only comfort, our only one and only comfort in life and death is that not that we're such good people or nice people or kind people, but that we belong to our faithful Savior, Jesus Christ. He, the Son of God, fully bore the full wrath of God for us in our place to the very end. And on the cross, he completely emptied the cup of God's wrath for his own. Moses and the Israelites in, in their time, they didn't know about the, the Lord Jesus Christ as such yet. But they did know and they could know about the great work of mercy that God had promised to bring about for his people. And that's why Moses prays, eh? Verse, toward the end, verses 16 and 17. Let your work appear to your servants and your glory to their children and let the beauty of the Lord our God be upon us. The work of the Lord and, and his beauty that's fully revealed in Jesus Christ and him crucified for sinners. So congregation, we see God's anger going out over the world today. We also see it with the pandemic, which the whole of mankind has been dealing with for, for a year and more than four months. And we're included in that too because of ourselves. We're just as guilty as everyone else of God's judgment of ourselves. So let's taste God's wrath also against our sins and shortcomings in this pandemic. And let's let it humble us Humble us so deeply that we see the majesty of God's mercy again more clearly. We confess that, but this makes it, helps us to see it more clearly. And let's let it bring us to praise God's mercy in Jesus Christ and in Him crucified for us. 
And let's pray with Moses in Psalm 90 then, keeping our own sins and weaknesses in mind as we call on the, the God of majesty. Return, O Lord, how long? And have compassion on your servants. And O oh, satisfy us early with your mercy that we may rejoice and be glad all our days. Amen.